would you say would it be safe to say that baby boomers are having the best sex research has shown that they are having oh. they are having some pleasurable oh, sex <laughs> Miami's most renowned sex therapist, Melinda DeSetta, joins No Politics Today where we chat all things sex, fetishes, sex toys, porn, generational differences with sex. So let's do it. Too many days in the darkness without a glimpse of the light. Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat Head pulled down over your eyes Every part of you wants to surrender Darling, you were meant to survive With every stop. And thanks for coming on, Melinda. I am like so excited uh, to hear your story, what made you want to um, get into the um, psychology of sex and therapy. And, you know, I'd really love to even hear, you know, where you are now. Rewind all the way back to like, you know, second grade when you wanted to be like an astronaut or a firefighter. And then where you even got into knowing, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm so passionate about. And I am all in. <laughs> so I, I am a true believer as a therapist that our career has some part of our identity. So I was the girl that was always like, did you kiss him? Did you kiss? How was it? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> that was always me. So I moved to Miami. Miami was my number one choice. I love it here. Um, and I had a private boutique practice in Brickell, which is our downtown area here in Miami. And I was working with young people in their 20s and 30s mostly. And they were coming into me for anxiety, depression, very common, common mental health challenges. But our conversation would always go into matters of the heart. What comes with matters of the heart? Intimacy, sex. So these people would be telling me about some of their relationship challenges, sexual challenges, sexual anxiety. And I was sitting across from them very dumbfounded looking, being like, I don't know how to truly help you. So I went on to get my PhD in clinical sexology, where we learned the ins and outs of every sexual disorder and how to treat it. So today I focus strictly on sexual challenges, intimacy and relationship issues. So about seven years ago now, I started my private practice and now I am strictly, you know, helping people have their best sex life. And I love every day of it. I can imagine. That sounds so awesome because I, I feel like there's um, such a part inside of everyone to worry. Like when you just dig past layer one, layer two, layer three, and sex can play such a huge role in someone's like everyday life too, where it's also something so natural too, to where, um, you know, it can be very pleasurable where it doesn't involve um, being intoxicated involves drugs. It doesn't involve drinking, smoking. Like it's just, it's a, it's a natural, um, you know, pleasure event that, you know, everybody can use and there's so many different ways. And I feel like sitting down with somebody like a professional, you can actually learn like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. 
Well, what I tell a lot of my clients when they first come in is sex is not something in a box separate from us. Sex is a part of our complex being. So everything in your world is going to impact your libido. When people say the word libido, what they're really referring to is your testosterone levels. That's what they're really referring to. But stress and sleep and the food you eat and the relationships you have, they all come into impacting your mood, your sex drive, all of it. So when I work, yes, we focus strictly on sex, but I ask questions all about your life because everything about the person is extremely important to me, their background, what currently they're working on, all the different things in their life. Yeah, because there's so many different dynamics that people can have that also play a role with the problems that they bring too, which, um, you know, can, can play a role in the bedroom, I guess as well, which is, you know, a lot more, um, deeper playing into problems than, you know, I think people typically think, you know, um, what are some, you would say some problems that people typically have, um, some mental hurdles that say interfere with, you know, achieving a fulfilling sex life or, um, yes. you know, feeling pleasurable. And is it different between men and women too? Because I feel like you always hear about erectile dysfunction, you know, right. people give commercials out. I mean, that's right. like the, the poster board one. Um, but I feel like, you know, the brain has a huge role in that. And then also too, is there something equivalent to erectile dysfunction, but for women that also experience exactly. and can hinder their sex life? So you really hit sex on the head when you said uh, sex has a mental component. Mm -hmm. So what I always tell people, sex is between the ears, not just between the legs. Yes, I saw that <laughs> on your website and I was like, gotta have her on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> I, like, yes. I love it. If, if you take anything away from this podcast, like your biggest sex organ is your brain and sex is between the ears, not just between the legs. So right now, yeah, you're seeing ED as the poster child of sex, um, sexual dysfunction right now because it's extremely common it, and it really is. And right now we're breaking down taboos. So you're seeing a lot more of it. I love it. Um, but if you're experiencing erectile dysfunction, my, um, my information to you is don't run out and just take Viagra. If it's a mental component, Viagra is actually not going to help. It may help once or twice short term. It may make you halfway erect, but it's not going to give you what you're looking for because there is this mental component. What is the most common thing I'm seeing in men? I'm getting more calls from males today than females, but in men, so much performance anxiety, so much. So with the anxiety, what happens? Your heart starts pounding. When that happens, all the blood runs to your heart. So then, rather than where you want it to run. Rather than to the <laughs> penis. So it becomes more flaccid. And now this moment that this happens is scarring. It is traumatic. And the person does not forget about that time. And they remember that. And they put more pressure on themselves the next time. And they try to test themselves. And the trauma keeps growing. So when I work with people, I'm working with people of all ages. And we go back so the very first time that this happened generations or decades before, decades before. So this really is a very traumatic time for people that it's extremely common for whatever reason not to become erect. Just not your day. You're tired. You didn't eat right. X, Y, and Z. All of them. But after that happens, performance anxiety grows. And that 
really creates this performance anxiety here in Miami. I see a lot of people in Miami. There's a lot of societal pressures that people put on themselves of, I should be having sex like this um, on the first date, the second date. So many things that they put on themselves. It's a lot of pressure to just, uh, you know, stack on yourself too. I mean, you haven't even like been there, done that yet. And you're just already, I, I should be doing this. This should happen this way when it just, you know, builds over time. And it happens with virgins. This is this is my favorite study. They did a study a, a while back, but it was saying like 30% of virgins were so nervous to have sex that they were postponing it because they were afraid of not being able to perform. Wow, that's interesting. That's societal pressure. That is only societal pressure because you take that person, put them in a Neanderthal type of society <laughs> <laughs> back when caveman existed, right. they're not waiting. Right. So that right. is 100%. Uh, exactly. And, you know, I... I typically only work with adults. Yeah, society sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it can. So I work with a lot of students at UM because there's so much pressure there. And I'm telling you, performance anxiety, ED, doesn't care about age. I'm talking to students in their 20s, early 20s, 20, 21, 22, and they're having performance anxiety, causing them to experience erectile dysfunction in that moment. Not that we would ever diagnose it, erectile yeah, yeah. dysfunction. But that's what they're having in that moment. And it's really performance anxiety. Yeah, that's so, that's just sad. I feel like there's a lot of anxiety, you know, in the, the younger generations a lot because of social media and pressure and, um, you know, how quickly bad news can spread. Exactly. That's what I hear all the time. What is the, what is my partner going to say about me after? Yeah, that sucks. Especially being, I mean, you're 21, 22 and you're, you know, you're at the University of Miami, which you probably have some of the most beautiful people in the, in the country going there and you can't have a you know fulfilling you know that's yeah so that's something I, I work with them on and i really try to especially at that age like being so young and and just you know starting their relationship with sex your sex life starts when you first start masturbating so when i work with my clients i say sex with yourself sex with a partner which one? Because your life, your relationship with mm. sex starts extremely early. But, you know, at, at that age, I like to also bring in the idea of you, you have sex for pleasure. That is what sex is for. And procreation, too. But we have sex for pleasure. So how can we get you out of your mind and focusing back on your body, removing some of these societal pressures and helping you enjoy the time? And both people are typically experiencing these societal pressures at the same time. Yeah, I, and I was I was gonna say I feel like I feel like sex um, with the younger generation too should almost be more pleasurable than any other generation because we're experimenting. We're you know I I feel like doing it younger, and there's more protections involved, and it's not just for a functionality, which is to procreate. It's more of a experimentation. It's more of a, um, the goal is pleasure. So I feel like, I feel like if anybody should be, um, you know, having more of a pleasurable sex life, it would be millennials, but millennials and Gen Zers and, and younger ones. But like at the same time, then you add in that anxiety that maybe didn't exist because of social media to the previous generations. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a huge ceiling. You would think, so you would think, okay, the younger you're having all this sex, it's so good. It's like the best sex of your life. 
that's not what research shows. That's not what, what we see as sex therapists. We actually see that at the beginning when you're, you, when you're learning your body, you're going through developmentally, like that college age, like you're figuring out your identity, societal pressures. People actually report less satisfying sex than they do in their 50s and 60s. Oh, man. Because it, and it, and when we look at it, it kind of starts to make sense. 50s and 60s is when people are like, I'm okay with my body. I've had societal pressure. I'm going to, you know, yeah. take it or leave it. I'm going to learn how to manage it. And they, we actually see better people having more satisfying sex later in life. So are you, would you say, would it be safe to say that baby boomers are having the best sex? Research has shown that they are having, oh. they are having some pleasurable oh, sex. More power to them. I that, love it. And, and they got to, they got to teach the younger generations, like how to, how to get out of their head. <laughs> Damn. That is, that is the surprising statement of uh, the week for me. Cause I would have never, never thought that because I, I feel like they're the, the hesitant generation to, you know, um, when it comes to sex and being erotic and, uh, mm -hmm. I feel like it was always just for, you know, a functionality. And then once you have kids, it kind of, you know, your sex life disappears and, <laughs> um, that's kind of, I guess the, um, what's the word for it? Um, like reputation of it, I guess. Cause millennials, it's just, and the younger generation, I guess, just cause we're the ones who have social media and always putting things out that you would think are happier with their sex life. But that's, that's surprising. In, in looking at the baby boomers, there was a lot of, um, messages they received around sex as kids, right? Like you saw a lot of religious messages, things they just learned from society about, right, you have sex for, for procreation. Generation Gen Z, Gen Z is a little young, but the millennials, they're, they received a lot more messages on being sexually free, but those societal taboos and messages around you know, religious messages and sex is dirty and that those taboos still extremely exist. Like the, they are just as evident as they were with the baby yeah. boomers. I see, I see them all the time. It is something yeah. that almost every client comes to me about how they, how disassociate. They want to disassociate those those things. Well, and in schools, sex therapy is so, or sex education, not sex therapy at all, but sex education is so minimal. And when you have nobody talking about something, it becomes taboo to a child. Oh, we don't talk about that. So you, even though as an adult, you're saying, okay, sex is good. Sex is good for my mental health. Sex is good with my partner. You still have this imprint of sex is dirty. Sex is taboo. Sex is not to be talked about. Yeah. And it still exists. And it gets really muddy as we get older. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like you want to have those conversations, you know, before people are, um, are, you know, past the conversation and already in the act. So I feel like that's just the typical recipe and formula for bad sex and for things to just eventually um, people landing in front of you and being like, hey, um, <laughs> you know, I need some help. And I want to break the stereo myth of, okay, age is associated with ED or age is associated with vaginal pain or can't become lubricated. No, it's really not. All of these things can happen at any age. But I always tell my clients, whatever sexual dysfunction or sexual challenge you're coming to me with, you can still have amazing and desirable sex. Yeah. 
you absolutely still can. There is not one way to have sex. Then this is where you do get creative. And this is where there are so many treatments out there that if you are experiencing ED, well, we know how many treatments there are nowadays, but in premature ejaculation, all these things, there are ways to work around them or overcome them and have amazing sex. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, medication should be like the last like resort. I feel like it's almost like undoing a lot of things in their, in their head way before like Viagra and all of those things. It sometimes is extremely needed. So what I do on every time people come into my office, I always try to assess for, is there a medical problem? And I do have a series of questions that help us determine. And then I always refer out. I always refer out OBGYN, urologist, mm -hmm. and medication can be extremely helpful when it's needed because sometimes, yeah, if you have high blood pressure or, or low blood pressure, right? So anything matters of the heart, these pieces do affect and medication can be extremely effective. Yeah. But I would always also say that there is some mental component as well. It's always got to be, always got to be, right? Because it starts with the brain. So, I mean, it's it's got to be. Well, even like when it, going back to that performance anxiety, the first time you weren't able to become erect, it had some mental impact on you. I see it all the time. Now, I'm not talking maybe everybody, but from a lot of people, that's a really powerful moment. And it impacts people heavily. Yeah, what... um. What I read one time, which made a lot of sense, it was like a big eye opener that said, your brain is your biggest sexual organ. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if you think about it like that, rather than your actual mm -hmm. genitalia, it makes so much sense because your your brain is powering that. You know, right. almost like, like when you go to the bathroom, like you don't go to the bathroom while you're sitting at your desk in your office, you do it in the bathroom because mm -hmm. your brain goes, okay, you're gonna do this now. And then, it happens, it, you know, and your brain doesn't do that when you're in the office or you're in bed or anything like <laughs> thank that. God. It just, yeah, yeah, thank God, thank God. <laughs> do, um, so a lot of your clients in, in terms of that um, are men, do um, women, uh, women have to probably have some sort of um, um, performance anxiety as Absolutely. well as men do. do. Is it in the same like fashion or do you find yourself um, do you find yourself kind of saying the same thing to or working with men the same way you do with women or is it entirely different? It's always very unique to that client. Mm -hmm. So when I work with clients, uh, you know, some people want to come in for two or three sessions, really just learn some techniques, education, and they go off on their own and they practice them. But a lot of my clients stay with me for a while and it's very unique to that person. With women, what are some of the most common ones is I do see societal pressure about I need to have sex for my partner. And how does that come play itself out? Oftentimes I see that coming out as vaginal pain. Mm. I'd see a lot of anxiety coming out as vaginal pain, but it makes sense because again, it's anxiety. Muscles tense up. So we they have they, pelvic floor muscles that tense up. Yeah, they feel like they have to constantly um, be there for when their partner wants to have sex. That's, mm -hmm. yeah. And that may be something that their partner said, or it may be something that they've internalized from societal messages or feeling like this should. I always say mm -hmm. like this should piece. I should be having sex with my partner this many times because, well, my friends say they do. I saw that in the movie. And these, these messages are like inundating us all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can, I, that sucks too because I feel I because you don't want to have sex like that if you feel like you should. I mean, you should want to, not feeling that you should have to. And people definitely get in their head about too. I should be wanting to. Why don't I want to? And I like to say, okay, well, let's look at your day, your week, how your year's been. You know, are you feeling more stressed? Are you having less sleep? I go back to the basics. You know, and we can kind of pinpoint some pieces where, okay, well, that probably is decreasing your sex drive. That also could be decreasing your sex drive. So there's multiple factors. It's never one reason. Is it, is a lot of it like just um, overworking, being like career driven where it just takes up, you know, 10, 12 hours of your day every day. And then you come home and then you're just exhausted. And it's like, well, you know, the, the first thing I'm thinking about is, I just want to eat and sleep. Dude. For a lot of people, it can it can be like that. If you're tired, oftentimes your libido is not that high. For some people who are really stressed and running, sex can become a coping skill, and that's something they use for stress mm. relief. Now, some of my homework assignments to my clients would be masturbation, because I think there's a really healthy place for <laughs> I like it. That. I like these assignments. <laughs> right? There's a that's healthy, a good homework. <laughs> there's a a very healthy place for it as you know masturbation is great for your mental health it does decrease stress all these things absolutely um but i always like to say okay where is it for the health of it and the enjoyment of it and the pleasure where is it like your outlet for stress i feel like it's a good place for them to start too if they're having um you know if if you're having some sort of sexual dysfunction or um you're not having the the best sex it's it that's a good homework assignment for them honestly to go back to just you and just trying to find what works best for you how you feel i i slowly work up to that because somebody who hasn't had sex in a long time or even sex with themselves masturbation is very is kind of intimidating it's a little anxiety provoking so there are and that's actually very common (laughs) so there are steps that we take and this is where it becomes very tailored for every client but sometimes we you know we do those things and i kind of tweak their masturbation so that and that they can um, really be mindful in what they're doing work through their anxiety you know i'll give them also some breathing exercises to do with it oh good they relearn how to be present with their body and the pleasure so you're basically prescribing them almost like different ways of masturbating and tricks and breathing exercises to kind of maybe control whether it's blood flow or anxiety or the anxiety mostly. Yeah. yeah the anxiety is a piece and retraining you to be out of your head and into your body. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one. That's a good be out of your head and into your body. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'm not against porn at all in any way. Um, but for a lot of my homework assignments, I ask them not to watch porn because I want them to relearn how to be present in the moment. This is something I struggle with just in my everyday life of being present in the moment. I think moment. everybody does. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so when we masturbate and watch porn, I'm all for it. I think it's great. But sometimes it takes us into that moment of the fantasy and the excitement and the entertainment of the porn versus just solely focusing our mind on our pleasure. So my homework assignments can be a little less fun than maybe what you're looking for. Well, it, it, it brings you back to reality. 
you know, when you're in the present, you're not That's a good point. You're mm-hmm. doing it without watching porn mm-hmm. because I feel like if you're watching porn, you might as well, what's the difference between that and just scrolling on Instagram and Facebook. You're just, you know, you're taking yourself out of the moment, putting yourself into that social feed, which I feel like just could add to the anxiety too, because if you're, um, watching porn, you're also in, and you know, not to say it's bad or anything, but if you're watching it, you're kind of comparing things. You're comparing, Absolutely, you know, body types and 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 sizes and um, you know, the whole experience. I feel like, and then you might just end up feeling, you know, just like you do when you get off Instagram and you see, you know, people's bodies and jobs and careers and money mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, and you're Instagram back to is the new porn. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is, <laughs> I hear that is, a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah. It, is. it really is. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny you say that too, because I um, I I think about that a lot too. Where it's like, you know, every, I think on Instagram, every fourth post is an ad, and I feel like every third post before that is someone's nude. So you're basically mm-hmm. every four posts, half of them are not involving an advertisement or something like porn or nude related you know especially down here in miami where everybody is in you know taking photos in swimsuits and like i don't want to say i wouldn't even say half naked i'd say 99 percent naked (laughs) it's definitely part of the culture down here yeah yeah it um it is too do you find um you know some of your um clients end up getting like a porn becomes such a problem that it's the only way that they're able to be like sexually pleased with themselves do you find that people get like addicted to it at all or um do they just get um anxiety driven off it so i call it porn tolerance (laughs) and like i said i'm definitely not against porn but where is that threshold and i get asked this a lot where is that threshold of too much Mm. how do i know if i'm abusing porn well so it's your orgasm is in your brain so what are some of the downsides to porn think about what you very first googled when you watched porn for the first time now think about what you google today it's very different so that's the porn tolerance and it's your brain looking for something more exciting more exciting more erotic and it waits for those moments. Your orgasm takes a little bit longer. It, it keeps waits. digging. Yeah, and it waits for that. And okay, now when we translate that to a person, a person is a completely different type of sexual experience. Porn is entertainment. Porn is for your entertainment. A person is not for your entertainment if you're having that type of sex, right? So the brain then will oftentimes still wait and want something really erotic and exciting like you were watching in porn that this person cannot provide because it thinks it's the same experience it does think it's a similar experience so then oftentimes i will see delayed ejaculation delayed orgasm for men and women that makes a lot of sense putting putting words to that um because you're just it's kind of like almost you know you're watching like NFL football every Sunday and then you go out to play with your friends and then, you know, there's no, there's no crowd. There's no um, ex- true excitement and you're like out of breath in like five seconds. We do it for everything. You know, some media thing puts something out. We want something more exciting the next time. Yeah, it's funny how your brain operates with that too because it, it always wants to, it wants more. Like how you said too, we're like, 
you start watching from what you Google the very first time till now, it's, it's different because your brain is just constantly going a little bit further without mm -hmm. you actually realizing right. how many stairs you're climbing there. Right. And I guess that's, that might be why sometimes like, you know, you'll see like some sex scandal online um, <laughs> with like a celebrities, like, and they're either like, you know, it's involves some like bondage um, type of, uh, you know, fetish or so. Um, and it's like, oh, like that person's into that. But I guess no one really realizes like they didn't start Googling that. Right. And to see where that was, that's where you're just seeing the end result, not the, you know, the very, very beginning. Yeah. And all that can be fine until it creates problems when we're having sex with a person. Yeah. So that's where that I call it porn tolerance. Threshold. And what I say is if you feel like you're getting here or you're noticing that when you're having sex without watching porn, um, sex with yourself without porn, sex with a person and, and you're noticing less pleasure, um, you know, delayed ejaculation, all these different pieces, I recommend detox your brain your brain is totally down for it. detox your brain take some time away from watching porn. from it all yeah yeah reset yeah that makes that makes sense i i do think um sometimes you know just like googling things online or even with porn it can actually like broaden people's minds with um different types of sex with fetishes and kinks mm -hmm. and and things as well that could actually end up you know, helping things or revitalizing things or, uh, you know, the, the, the most famous word, spicing things up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And a lot of people are really looking for the exploration today. And I think that's like, exciting and fun. And I encourage you to explore with yourself um, and then also explore with a partner that you feel very safe with. Because it's when you're first starting a kink or really getting into your fetish, it's a very vulnerable experience. So you want to be with someone that you feel safe with. And uh, I'm glad you brought up kink because a kink is something that maybe somebody just kind of likes and gets turned on by that might be like out of the norm. But like exactly. a fetish is something, and correct me if I'm wrong, a fetish being is a kink, but you cannot achieve sexual pleasure without it. Exactly. So a kink, it, spanking is a kink. So anything outside of the Just pen, absolute normal penetration. Basic, yeah. Basic, yes. So spanking is a kink. So most people in the world have some sort of kink. So yeah, you maybe you don't need it every time, but you like it and you enjoy it and it gets you aroused. Awesome. A fetish is something that is like a kink. It can be more than a, um, more of an extreme kink, but it's something that the person needs to orgasm, to feel that extreme sexual pleasure. Yeah, like every, like every time. They more desire it every time. Mm -hmm. What are some, what are some kinks that, um, you know, you see people typically, um, you know, say like the, you know, the, the vast amount of people either like kind of develop or just prefer. And is there a difference between men and women with the kinks that they, they typically like it's always with the individual person not mm -hmm. really necessarily a gender piece um of course you know i see people come into me most often i will see um any type of foot kink or foot fetish 
um, bridging on those two lines, I do oftentimes see silk underwear or silk panties being something that the person really likes to wear, gets them emotionally aroused. Those are pretty common ones that I see in my office. But also, I will tell you, I think there's a lot of people who are ashamed of their canker fetish, so they keep it inside. And I think that's one of the places that we have to move as a society to help people feel more okay and more accepting of their own kink because yeah. i still see as a sex therapist that is something that people hide people don't want to um you know kind of open up to about they don't feel safe like saying it with their partner or bringing it up it's something that people oftentimes hold in and that's when you will see people then going outside of their relationship or going outside their marriage and trying to get their kink or fetish met satisfying yeah in more of a quieter space and because I think still today there's these really extreme taboos around sex. And right now they're still very evident there for any kink or fetish. And people internalize that. And it's not that they don't want to tell their partner. They don't want to tell me. It's, it's hard for them to say. Yeah, there's such like this invisible hold, I think, on people from trying to, you know, live. I don't want to. I hate using like a, an Instagram quote, but like living their best life like their uh-huh. their best sex life, but in their best sex life um you know where it's it's like fear like they just have that fear and i feel like that's like a constant like you know they as soon as they're about to maybe say it or open up about it that um adrenaline kicks in and says no no no, no you don't want to do that because of these consequences could happen to you and then boom anxiety's in your head and then mm-hmm. um you know tasteless sex I guess, or not as good um, as it could, as you could peak if you um, ended up exploring your kink. Or, it or feels so. like you're always hiding a little piece of you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know that doing that in any realm kind of, you know, it will hinder your experience. But you know, doing it during sex, I mean, can you even obtain pleasure when you know you have something that you're holding in? Sure. You know, like I said, pleasure is never black and white. It's a very abstract thing. So just because you have a kink or a fetish absolutely doesn't mean you can't have pleasure from any other way. It's just it's just these sexual desires that people want to explore and to experience. But yet they have these societal taboos and the, the messages and the way that they've internalized it that, you know, keep them from exploring these pieces in, you know, more of an out out way with their partners. How um. What is your theory on how kinks and fetishes kind of start and, um, you know, people kind of get into them? Because I was reading about uh, Wilder Penfield's um, theory on, you know, your, it's like scientific based where your sensory perception of, say like foot fetish, your sensory perception of feet is Mm -hmm. located right next to your sensory perception of genitalia. So then, you know, they kind of... um, you know, they're just neighboring each other and, you know, they, they feed off each other and that's what creates the, the foot fetish. But, and that, that made sense, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at the physical science behind that too. Mm -hmm. But then I think, well, if that was true, you know, everyone's brain is made up neurologically, I guess, pretty much the same way in terms of location base. So then that would mean that everybody would have the foot fetish, which makes me think, okay, maybe it's not completely 100% off of that you know maybe it has to do with you know where um you're kind of correlating you know two subjects where it's like you're you're showing a picture of say 
you know, a foot and then you're showing a picture of a nude person who you're attracted to and then foot, then picture, and then you're correlating both of those together. And then boom, you develop that foot fetish that way, rather than, you know, in that, you know, in, in Penfield's way, what are your, what are your thoughts with, with some of those, those theories? Yeah. I, I, a lot of people bring that theory up to me. I think, I think it's great. What do I always say? I think there's different pieces. There's many different pieces that kind of put all the puzzle piece together for you. Kind of like your genes. Yeah. <laughs> so I also, what I also see when somebody comes to me and they want to explore their fetish, not everybody wants to explore it. They have it, they have it, they use it, they move on with life. But some people want to explore what it is. In what I have found com common-wise discussing these with people would be that it was something way back when and more in their childhood that made them feel safe and comfortable. That was just a safe place for them. That was a, a feeling or a texture or an activity, something that made them feel safe. How do you feel your sexiest and have your best sex when you have the least amount of anxiety and when you feel your best self and when you feel the safest? Yeah, I feel like it's just, it's feeling comfortable. Yeah. You know, when you're comfortable with that person um, or just and comfortable with yourself. With yourself. Yeah, yeah, being comfortable mm -hmm. with yourself. And then you can have great sex with somebody you just met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. That's true too. I was, do you think, um, like if somebody who is having, you know, not bad sex or good sex, but they just, you know, sex isn't, you know, a, a big pleasure spot in their life right now, but they want it to be. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them in terms of just step one, um, they're dating somebody, say they're dating somebody, right? And it's just the, the sex isn't the, the best. What would you say would be just a universal, you know, way of getting back into you know pleasure would it be maybe communicating with their partner would it be going back to maybe masturbation or uh -huh. so i see this happen a lot and trust me after the pandemic it was like it was a thing where people just had lower libidos overall themselves as a couple as a single mm. whatever so i created what i call sexy confidence so what i would give my clients was every day i want you to try something experience or experiment with different things that make you feel sexy and confident on the inside. So every day they had to try something that kind of started to spark their inner confidence and inner libido. And people got really creative. I loved it. I loved hearing about what they shared with me. Um, Can you share one? Yeah. So for some of the women, this was definitely something that um, a lot of women shared back with me and, and men did too. But for women, it, it went as simple as, you know, okay, so today I chose to put makeup on. Today I chose to shave my legs. Today I chose to listen to this pump up song in the morning. Because I, I said, okay, you can use... Imagine doing all three at the same time. You know? Yeah, and then it's like game over, right? <laughs> but every day they had to do something. And I made them do it different every day so that they could learn all the different pieces. That just made them feel alive again. Because a lot of people during the pandemic were coming to me and just saying, I just have lower libido and I don't know why. Yeah. That was a very common one. I can imagine during the pandemic, especially with um, you know probably a lot of people you know having some you know problems just just even you know forget about people in marriages and dating living with each other but just single people who like you physically can't go out and meet people and and have sex because everyone's home and you can't go see other people and everybody thought okay everyone's cooped up we're all in quarantine there's gonna be this big baby boom because everyone's having sex 
I wasn't seeing that. I was like, I don't know what the media is talking about. And we actually saw the lowest amount of birth rates happen. And it made sense to me. When you are with your partner, my little nephew Nate would disagree with you. <laughs> He's a good one. Yeah, he, he, he broke the mold. <laughs> <laughs> when you're with your partner all the time, desire actually goes down. Hmm. That makes, you know, that makes a lot of sense because when I had played college basketball, you know, it's like a second job. And when you're in the gym every day for two and a half hours, and then you're in film. I didn't want to play. <laughs> you know, like I got to a point, I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm here all the time. I don't want to do this. And then like, when you go home on vacation for like the week and you're off and you are completely off the court, then you come back and you're like, let's ball, let's get into it. You know, yeah. and then you got that energy, that spark. And that makes a lot of sense because if you're just with them all the time, I mean, it's, I guess, cause it's always available too, then I guess to a, to a degree. They just show when you're with somebody all the time. And when we were first in quarantine, for people who were, were extremely quarantined, you were with your partner all the time. And it was something that many people weren't used to. And desire can't go down. So if anybody out there is experiencing that, it's normal. That makes sense. Does, I mean, not that you'd say, you know, recommend, you know, that as soon as you uh, mention the word break, you know, that, uh, um, Rachel and um, what's his name from Friends Ross. and Ross uh, comes up you know I was on a break but yeah. I mean nobody knows what that means yeah <laughs> not to say I mean it's in like an intentional okay you're gonna go over there and I'm gonna go over here but maybe like just like a a girl's vacation for like a week or like a, you know just a, some sort of weekend type thing but could help too and it's not even like an intentional or right, I I you know, we need to re-spark this and let me leave, but just um, that stuff helps. And I would even say be, I I like to be simple. Things you can do on every day. You know, if, if you are, if you both working from home, still plan date nights to meet yeah. at the dinner table and have dinner without the TV on. You know, do something that makes you feel a little sexy before dinner. Even though, you, you know, you've been in the uh, same apartment all day, same house all day still come together for that date time turning the tv off helps so would be the phone as well right you know just just <laughs> being one with each other at the you know at the same table and just talking because i feel like the deepest form of communication people have on average per day is you know like like past the catch-up that's like the <laughs> you know that's like the deepest form it's hey how is work what are we eating tonight? Okay, let's sit down. Let's have a meal. How was your day? Good. It was good. Okay. Can you pass a ketchup? Can you do this? Can you do that? And then it's clean up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put the kids to bed. Um, what do we got tomorrow? Because as soon as I feel like four to five o'clock rolls around every single day, it's already onto tomorrow. So we skip that entire rest of the evening to live in the moment. Right. And we're already onto tomorrow, which then even if we start having sex, just that that thought of not being a hundred percent in there or the i guess the lack of thought of being a hundred percent in the present will hinder a little bit of that um you know sexual pleasure there too and then you're just what do you end up doing you know you you live you know half your life in the present while you're at work and then when you go home you're into tomorrow mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in during that time you're not many people have troubles emotionally connecting 
And some of the ways people become the most aroused is through the emotional connection first. Yeah. Or what I hear a lot when I work with couples, oftentimes uh, the female will say, I absolutely loved when my partner helped with the dishes. That was my turn on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's many, and this is where I say, quote unquote, the sex talk is really important with every couple. You know, in, I always say have the sex talk, whether it's short term or long term, but talk about things that turn you on, things that don't turn you on, things you enjoy, maybe things you want to try and make the sex talk a routine talk because pleasure is always changing. You know, there's a, um, cause I love that you brought that up because I feel like people have sex and then have that talk rather yes, than yes they do right yeah. after <laughs> yeah they afterwards and i'm like oh my gosh like you just you know you jumped into the water not knowing how to swim and then like you're looking around like uh, I, I don't know how yeah. to swim and then you get back over and you're like you know it's just a miserable experience not miserable yeah. i should say but it's not maybe the hundred percent way um and there was this um app i was uh researching where you start off by getting all of those like, you know, sexual taboo skeletons out there that people, you know, like your kinks and things like that, that people are, are afraid of. So you start off by putting those out there mm -hmm. and then you, from day one, you are talking with people about that. So basically on, on Tinder or on field or on, um, um, Bumble, um, you'll start talking about like hiking or you know, what sports you guys like or cocktails, things like that. And then, you know, filter whichever way. But with this app, you actually start off by, um, you know, talking about your kinks and your, and your things that you're kind of like afraid of. So you're already letting that person into like the closet that you've been so afraid of. So Way then, to be vulnerable people. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's people that are so direct, which with the dating apps are tough to kind of gauge, you know, where people's intentions are. So you're already direct, you've already opened up yourself to that person and communicated. And I feel like people who have used that app have been, have found more of like a genuine connection mm -hmm. because, um, you are really, really connected. You're not just, you know, faking that you like hiking just to like try to like get somebody good looking at on a date with you, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Right. This one doesn't allow any room for error. And I think I think I think it's great, right? You sex is not everything in a relationship, but it is a foundational pillar. So finding somebody that you are sexually compatible with is helpful. Now will that make the relationship work? Not on its own. Great sex does not equal a great relationship. Yeah. But you learn quickly how to be vulnerable and talk real talk. Yeah. No, I'm, that makes sense too. It's just being vulnerable, I guess. I love the way you put that too, because you, you are opening yourself up to that person, um, knowing what the consequences could be, but not experiencing those consequences yet. So you're almost like, it's like courageous to a, <laughs> to a degree. It is. I think this app is very cool. Yeah. I have to look this app up. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's super neat because uh, you know, it's it's people just, you know, opening themselves up like the opposite of what you would usually think on a dating app. Um, and uh, you know, because with with Tinder, Bumble, and a lot of the the other apps, they're just uh, you know, it's like your three, four, five, 
um, dates in with somebody and you haven't really tapped into any layers of who that person is, you know, because I feel like with, you know, not only kinks, but with sex, especially, I mean, you are digging into who that person really is, where you have a sexual experience with somebody, you can really grasp whether, you know, they're not only you know, dominant in the bedroom or submissive, forget, forget about all that. But, you know, are they selfish? Are they unselfish? Are they okay with being, you know, vulnerable? Are they, um, can they read your body language? Right. You know, are they caring or, you know, before, after, during, you know, you can really read who they are and it's a real good, like appetizer into that person's soul. Cause there's no, I mean, I shouldn't say there's no, faking anything of who you are in that, you know, but, um, I, I feel like you can really gauge, um, who someone, you know, truly is from having that, um, experience with them, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sex is one of the most vulnerable things that we do. Yeah. It, um, it's not only vulnerable, but like, I like how you said before, it's a foundational pillar. And that made me think of like, what, okay, what are some other foundational pillars? It's, you know, career is one. Communication. Um, communication. Trust is going to have to be one. In, you know, different couples will set them up slightly differently, but some are pretty foundational, right? You want to be able to emotionally trust your partner, be able to communicate with them, be able to connect with them sexually. Yeah, I guess it's just, be, it's, it's um, not being afraid to, be judged by somebody, I guess, right. when you're with them, right? Always goes back to the societal pressures, like we started. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, and before we uh, finish up, I'd, I'd love to know your um, your thought with, because dopamine is the kind of like the pleasure chemical, right, mm -hmm. of the body. Um, and with fear kind of being like the opposite of it, um, hindering dopamine what do you what is stronger do you would you say like the stress hormones and the adrenaline that is produced by fear um hindering dopamine which is then feeling pleasure or um i guess some of the tactics i guess you had brought up too of you know um having people you know feel sexy and so forth you're trying to build up that dopamine to then overtake those feelings of fear when they produce out, you know, stress and adrenaline. And when it comes to sex, since it is such a vulnerable act, everybody has a little fear. So I, I really try to help people learn how to manage the anxiety around sex, manage the anxiety around their fear. But yeah, that fear can be so powerful. And that's why it becomes a physical response. Mm. And usually that's what lands people in my office is the physical response. But what do we really focus on? The anxiety and the fear. When they even should be in your office, when they start feeling the anxiety, I guess, before it gets to that physical response too. I, I guess that, that makes sense. Do you, have you ever um, prescribed, say, you know, somebody comes in your office and says, hey, like, it's not that I'm having bad sex, but you know, there's a lot out there that I feel like I'm missing out and I want to feel more erotic and do more mm -hmm. erotic um, type things with sex. Do you like prescribe them like, you know, not only tactics with maybe masturbation and so, but like sex toys, have you ever gotten into a deeper, um, not deeper, but more um, 
you know, more of those kinkier ways to quickly explore it. Yeah. So if you know, I have a private practice in Miami, but the other half of what I do is all sponsored by sex toy brands. So I travel around the country in the U.S. talking about how sex toys can enhance your sexual experience. And I truly believe that. I, I really do. There's a wide variety of sex toys out there. So there's one for everybody. But yes, yeah, sometimes I absolutely will. And I will prescribe them for a couple and an individual. And I have many different kinds. I usually do this in groups. <laughs> so I will speak with a group of all men or a group of all women. And we'll kind of talk about different toys, different things that can be done with them and how they can instill them with sex with themselves or sex with their partner. Because they're fun. And also... You get really excited when they come in the mail or you just buy them at the store. That is a libido booster in itself. Yeah, you get a little uh, butterflies, right? <laughs> you just get excited. You're like, what is this going to feel like? Yeah, yeah. So people oftentimes then you will see a little bit of an increase when something comes into play. And a lot of people, a lot of people like the toys because it adds something that just a human can't add. That vibration is something that we can't add and people really enjoy that to be added to the play. Or supplemental too, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. cause it just have to be, you know, by itself or just, it adds its own little kink. Exactly. Even just like, say like you, you're dating someone, even just like going to like a sex store. Yeah, it's, it, it's fun. The whole experience, right? It all kind of boosts the libido. And I always say, if you're going to use a sex toy, uh, use the water-based lube. It'll even enhance the joy. Mm. Have fun. Explore. Experiment. What is the difference between water-based and oil-based lube? Just the, 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 what they're made out of, the compound. But if you're using a silicone toy, which I would always recommend a silicone toy. It's mm. best for the skin, very sensitive skin. Um, water-based will just help the toys last longer. Oh, okay. Okay. Some people have different allergies um, to silicone. Um, some people have silicone. Some people have allergies to what's in the oil or silicone-based lube. Okay. I love that you do it. You know, you also prescribe for not only you know people but like individuals but couples too. I think that's Absolutely. awesome. You go around the country and and do this too. Do you mm -hmm. like? Mm -hmm. I hope this isn't like too much uh, info, but like, do you like try the toys your, yourself first or do you just do research on like- Yeah, you have to try them. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, was, I was like inching well, my uh, way in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't, I, and if I don't know the toy, I'll ask them. How yeah. did you, what did you think about this? Because I do travel to some of the stores that we sell in. Yeah. Like I said, I, I don't sell the toys. I'm just their resident sex therapist for um, the Rabbit Company, the Body One, Fredericks of Hollywood, like some of, some of these bigger brands. So I'm their resident sex therapist. So I will go to their stores and meet with customers and they'll ask me questions. They'll ask me questions about their sex life. They'll ask me questions about different toys. And I, I try to help them as much as I can, like give little tips to help people take home with them. Yeah. It's one what? of my favorite parts of my job. That's why their toys are so good then, because they have professionals kind of feeding into, you know, how these toys are made and everything. That's great. Yeah, they're a little bit. They did. They definitely take my input into it, and they want always to know feedback. But also, it's it's opening up the door for people. You know, come in. It, we do. We'll do like ask a sex therapist. So I'll go to sex stores. I was in uh, Houston, Texas. 
uh, a couple months ago and we had such a fun time. Uh, we had a DJ and we had mimosas and people were just coming in asking me questions and doing the whole show. Oh, you must've got a crowd there then if you got we, a DJ mimosas. If you did that in Miami, you'd be, yeah. you'd be killing it. Yeah, well we have stores all over the world but I, I traveled to the ones where wanted to ask a sex therapist night. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a amazing marketing way of it's fun yeah. it's fun that's that's what you have to do with work it, it, it's fun i really do love my job yeah no that's that's amazing do you um and you run your own private practice called um insight counseling center yes and if you want to know anything about it go to my instagram at miami sex therapist okay that's an amazing instagram um, I say, oh uh <laughs> little, you know, little, miami. Real, <laughs> little tips for every day on how to have the best sex Okay. Uh, so if you're looking for that, Miami sex therapist. Okay. All right. And do you do um, do you do zooms with people too? Or is it all in person? I pretty much am only online, okay. and I do provide coaching to people throughout the country, and I provide therapy to people in Florida. Okay. Well, when Florida's having the best sex in, in out of every other state, aren't they? <sighs> Florida's on its way up. Yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. I um thank you so much for all this info, uh, Amanda. I um I love you for it. It's so um, you know, fitting for the podcast. You know, when you just talk about when I just talk about trying to promote human welfare, sex therapy fits so perfect <laughs> into that. Um, because it's it's something that everybody it can it can help everybody it fits into our you know? lives yeah 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 yeah. i mean um it, it's a perfect fit so thanks um so much for for stopping on today thank you and um if uh, i'll also have you uh tagged in our instagram post youtube and spotify in case anyone does want to reach out to melinda um feel free and hopefully um maybe we'll touch base another year and see if there's any more um sex toy uh updates that we can have from you oh there's always new things <laughs> always new tips that i can give you yes well thank you Melinda. i appreciate it and um i'll uh see you down the road thank you With every star.